0: Only from Rustolium
1: Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer.
2: And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business.
1: Indeed, joining us in the studio today, it is the Times Deputy Sports Editor, James Restall. Coming up, we're going to look at a weekend that could prove decisive in this season's race for the title. But we start with another Premier League managerial casualty. Quique Sanchez-Flores has been sacked by Watford just 85 days after he was reappointed for a second spell in charge of the Premier League club. The Spaniard, who replaced fellow countryman Javi Gracia after four games of the league season, won just one of his ten Premier League matches. Well, Watford suffered their eighth league defeat in a 2-1 loss against fellow strugglers Southampton on Saturday, which saw them remain bottom of the table on eight points and six adrift of safety. So... James, are we surprised that Watford have pulled the plug on uh, Sanchez-Flores after just 10 games?
0: It's not surprising that Watford have been trigger-happy. We've seen the sheer list of managers they've been through, the the, uh, Potso family, um, since they've been in charge. Um, Flores' tenure of 10 games isn't the shortest on that list. Um, (laughs) But what I would say is that where it is surprising is that This is someone they knew all about and someone that they'd had at the club and someone that had gotten to an FA Cup semi final. And so, you know, it was, it, it it shouldn't have been a risk going back to him. And yet they've called time after 10 games.
1: Well, the decision was taken after Sanchez Flores met with the chief executive and uh, chairman Scott Duxbury, along with the owner Gino Pozzo on Sunday. This is what the club's statement said. Uh, Kike is a man of great integrity and it was clear how much he wanted to have a positive impact. But ultimately, results have dictated our decision. Um, James mentioned it there, Gregor, that obviously he'd been in charge before. He left them in 2016 uh, and... It was strange when he left because he was quite open about the reasons why he was leaving because there was an apparent difference in opinions between Flores and the board. So why on earth do you think they gave him another chance?
2: Um, I don't know. It's impossible to call with Watford. I mean, familiarity with the players and the squad, one potential sort of positive for them. But it's not proved to be the case. Um, I just when you're reading things now about the players kind of not being particularly convinced by him and... Mm. I think the players really have got to take far more responsibility for this now. Two two managers have proved their capabilities at Watford in the past, Uh, and really the the squad hasn't changed dramatically since since last season, Mm. and they're just performing nowhere near the same level. So, you know, I think often this is kind of where you learn how good they are or not because they've on their day they can be very good. They were. You know, very successful last season. Got to the FA Cup final. Um, and this season, they've sort of regressed to the mean. They're just not playing anywhere. They're just kind of regressed to being average Premier League players at mm-hmm. best. So, um, not enough fight in the in the team either, I don't think. A lot, lot of players look like they're playing for themselves more than for Watford. So, I think the players need to take more responsibility. And one thing I would actually say as well, is I thought it, it stunk a bit the way that it, he's been dismissed. It was... Doing the rounds completely on on Saturday evening, mm. uh, it was a kind of commonly known fact, and it wasn't announced until half twelve, one o'clock on Sunday. So you know he was a meeting was called, and he was already a dead man walking. So, yeah. so lack of respect in that that respect as well.
1: How big a factor then, James, is it? I mean, Gregor's mentioning that the players need to take responsibility, but how big an issue is it that he didn't really have the talisman, the captain Troy available to him? I think he's only played thirty four minutes under Kike Sanchez Flores since that knee operation that he had in August.
0: Dini is a, is a huge influence on that Watford team. He's he's a leader um, on and off the pitch. Um, you know he's 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 a kind of player who because he's been at that club so long when you've got such managerial instability and you have you know you can have one or two managers a season he's 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 the constant in that squad I think. Um, and I think not having him in the dressing room must be quite significant. Um but there but there are other very talented players in that team that do need to step up as well. I look at Delafeu and he's, he's a wonderful talent, and he's shown glimpses throughout his Watford career of the player that he can be. And you know, if he, if he was more consistent um, and had a better and had a better uh, goal product, he'd be you know Watford Watford would be in a much better position.
1: Well, at the time of this recording. We don't yet know who will be the successor to Sanchez Flores. The under-23s coach, Hayden Mullins, they say will take the team for Wednesday's trip to Leicester. But the gamble to bring Flores back obviously didn't work. So their third manager this season has to be an appointment that doesn't go wrong. It cannot be another mistake. The question is, who will come in as that third replacement for this season? Right now, uh, we can sort of Talk about the contenders and Chris Houghton, a very strong contender for this uh, vacant job. Can you see him fitting in at Vicarage Road, Gregor?
2: Yeah, I mean, very capable coach and manager. I, I'm sh- sure he would be a good appointment. I don't think personally that they will appoint him. I think it'll be someone we've never heard of, someone from Europe. Yeah. Um, nine of their last ten appointments have been from overseas. Uh, and That's kind of a habit they have and often mm. they have picked pretty well in the past. It's just gone sort of catastrophically bad recently, so um, yeah, Hutton would be would be a good appointment. I just don't. I think it's more likely to be someone kind of up from left field, going uh, to kind of put real weight in the fact that it's got to be a head coach rather than just a a manager. That's that's always been the way at Watford. But the thing, I get, coming back to the players, if the manager's so expendable, you know, if I was a try put myself in their position. Mm-hmm. I'm so tiresome. this the kind of rec- the continuous churn of coaches and managers um, and also like I say if if the manager you know the manager is expendable then it kind of takes the pressure off, off you a little bit um, you're know, probably all on pretty long term contracts uh, and you're not it's, you're always playing for your future when you're a footballer really and that's kind of that's alleviated a little bit by the fact that you know that for the first more than any other club the first sign of trouble is the manager's going to go rather than you.
1: Mm, but the thing with Watford is, uh, and those players that are there, they're so used to it, maybe that's, it's just, in a way, second nature. Oh, if we don't do well, the manager gets the tic-tac.
2: You'd think they'd be used to yeah, by now, <laughs> but <laughs> I would find it very tiresome. You, yeah. uh, you want some kind of level of stability at a football club. And and also, I think it, would also, it also kind of might make the players have a sort of inflated view of themselves, you know, real kind of powerful figures in that Mm. change room like Troy Mm. Deeney and and people like that um, are almost as important as the manager which I I don't think is healthy
1: Maybe Troy Deeney needs to step up then and be the manager (laughs) (laughs) Um, But looking at the other contenders and you mentioned there you you think Gregor it will be probably another name that we haven't heard of here in the Premier League but Sam Allardyce is a, a manager that has been linked with this job as well James he certainly knows how to keep a club up and right now that is what Watford need
0: um, there's there's no questioning Sam's credentials. I just don't think it's the appointment they'll make, um, uh, and I don't think they'll go back to another one of their former managers after this. Um, like in, Slavisa Kanavić, who's available. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tend to agree with Gregor. I think it will be someone we've not heard of. Um, I think Chris. I think Chris Hewton's credentials are, are, are fantastic, and I think he's a really really good coach. Um, I think he was slightly unfair in the way uh, that he left Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um, so but I but I but I don't I, I think it will be someone we've not heard of.
2: One thing you've got to say for despite how ruthless they are, mm-hmm. they're pretty kind of joined up and well organised. I'm sure, you know, they'll already be in the in the process of kind of signing the contracts, I would say. They'll know who they've got lined up. They always have, they they did with uh with, with Kiki Sanchez when he came back in as well. So, you know, it was always ready to, to go and they'll be in that situation again I'm sure.
1: The Premier League's other managerless side, Arsenal, started life under interim coach Freddie Lundberg with an entertaining to all draw at Norwich. But the result means it's now eight games without a win for the Gunners and leaves them eighth in the Premier League. Seven points off a place in the top four, while Norwich remain 19th, three points from safety. So, as I mentioned, it was Lundberg in charge. Gregor, did you see anything from that performance at Carrow Road, which makes you think he can turn this around? Not really. Oh, was a, there was a pause <laughs> there and you knew that was coming.
2: Yeah. Uh, not that I blame Lundberg in the slightest for any of that. I mean I can question his he's uh he's he's starting eleven he picked, particularly the back four. Mm. Um but he knows these players better than me, uh, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean uh I think I think the, the defensive issues are the biggest still the biggest worries. In fact, they've been the Arsenal's biggest worry for about a decade, and it's astonishing. If I was an Arsenal fan, I would just be tearing my hair out if I had any left. That still, you know, after, like, for, the, for 10 years, the problems have always been the same, or the primary problem anyway, and anyone's attempts to rectify it by signing new players, signing new defenders, have just been absolutely catastrophic. Um, Mustafi, I th- you know, I thought... I thought, you know, I was watching some of the analysis and stuff of this, and I thought i have been pretty harsh on him here. You know, he's kind of, but he was backing off. He wasn't closing anyone down, and he looked terrified. And I thought, you know, maybe his legs are going a little bit. And I looked at he, he's twenty seven. I thought he was like in his early thirties. We're trying maybe, to help him out. I yeah, I was, I was, no, I've been there. I was thinking, yeah, mm. I don't want to chase the, the fast guy or get really close to him because then he'll beat you, mm. and that's what it looks like. But he, he's he's in the prime of his career, and he just looks he looked scared to be on the pitch. He looked scared to close anyone down because if it, it looked he knew that. He would be beaten. He's 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 slow, mm. and he's not. And then you've got Louis Louise beside him, beside you, who kind of just tears out and leaves big gaping holes in, in the back four, and Chambers, who, you know, he's been there three or four years now, and continually, kind of shows the odd glimmer of of being good enough to play for Arsenal, and then, and then he just kind of regresses to the mean, and I don't think he's good enough to play for Arsenal. Full stop. Uh, And I don't know how Kolasinic was picked ahead of Kieran Tierney. I'm biased because I really love Kieran Tierney. And at least you know Kalasnic is going to run around and put his foot in. But that back four is just an absolute calamity. And then, when you, uh, look. Sorry, I could go on. Go
1: on. <laughs> well, no, no, not at all. I mean, I'm, the Gunners obviously arrived in Norfolk, having kept just two clean sheets in the league all season, left with the joint worst defensive record of any club in the top half of the table. And we will speak to Gary Jacob in just a moment on this. But James, just to get your point of view on on what's happening at, at Arsenal, uh, everybody was bigging up uh, everything that was going right at the at the top end of the pitch for Arsenal. And when you have Lacazette and you have Aubameyang and you also can add in Pepe into that as well. But really, defensively, this is it's crazy what's going on at Arsenal because this was a team, as, as Gregor's already pointed out, that 10, 15 years ago was just so solid at the back. Even longer, perhaps.
0: They've been outshot by more of their opponents this mm. season than they've outshot their opponents. Oh, wow. um, they have, I think they've got one of the biggest shot differentials in terms of shots they've had versus shots opponents have had against them of any team this season Um, the fact that you've got you're playing against a Southampton team who you know could have scored five goals uh, last week and then this week you play a Norwich team who you know to be fair to Norwich are a very front foot attacking team um, but had absolutely no fear whatsoever and and it's quite funny because that's what that's what Unai Emery said, and I think his last press conference, or his last pre-match press conference, was he said teams teams no longer fear Arsenal. Uh, well, Norwich certainly didn't, and they got their just reward.
1: Well, in the game today, Gary Jacob has been on Freddie watch, and uh, he joins us now. Um, Gary, let's talk about the team selection then, which in a way put Lumberg under huge pressure because having handed starts to Mustafi, you've also got Xhaka in there. I mean, these are players that the Arsenal fans aren't huge supporters of.
3: No, but his point after was that he, he's the one who sees them in training. So he's the one who who, who, who watched Pepe in training and he felt that he wasn't... Um, that Saka was a better player to come on in the second half. I think the view on Mustafi was that um, in theory, he's a better player on the ball than, than Socrates. And he wanted that. where the surprise was. It was, it was the first um, game, the first league game of the season. You would think... Perhaps you kind of won't do that against Norwich away. You might might pick your moment to kind of bring him back in the team if you are going to do it. Um, and they were a shambles, and, and, and there was, but there were more of a shambles in front of the back four, where when Norwich was just carving, carving holes through, and especially in the second half, really, where um, Xhaka and Gwendeusi just didn't protect them at all. Um, I think Greg was right about Chambers, but I think Chambers is is, is a is a makeshift right back. Um, bellerin 's out was out injured, so that's kind of that 's kind of forced on him. The Tierney one was interesting i don 't know what he didn 't sort of answer, and he wasn 't asked about um, why Tierney was was um, uh, why class uh, act was favored above Tierney um, and certainly I think Tierney showed signs early on of being a, a really good player, and, and perhaps he 's kind of one of those whose confidence has really been hit by the run. Um, And it it felt like a bit of a maybe. He wanted more of a kind of slightly physical team out yesterday. Maybe he wanted to to kind of to impose themselves a little bit, but but it didn't really work. And after half-time, especially in the second half, they were really quite poor. Mm.
1: Did you notice any difference in this Arsenal side to the one that Unai Emery led?
3: Very little, but obviously in Freddie's defence, he only has one day to work for them. Um, and he started, He played a 4-3-3 system and he had Ozil coming off the left and Ozil was involved more and certainly in the first half he was involved more um, in the second half he faded as they faded um, I think Freddie Freddy Arthur said one of the, the big things he felt was they, the transition was poor uh, and the possession was poor uh, and those are the things he felt he could work on and he could have a difference in them and he felt that would make them a different team um, whether he can coach the back four or whether they're going to have someone in to coach the back four. Well, that's the kind of I think, question that Arsenal fans would want to know is that who's going to be his number two um, and who's going to be his back from staff. And he was asked that yesterday and he said he's still in discussion. So cause if, you look, if you look at it, Steve Bold is not wants to stay where he is. And I think um, probably Arsenal fans probably will want him going up back up to where he was before. And they really need an experience number two and possibly another person there just to kind of um, uh, just guide Lundberg, really.
1: Well, one of the other criticisms that's been aimed at Lundberg was what he was wearing, uh, interestingly, from Paul Scholes. Um I mean, let me ask you, Gregor, having played the game, let me just read... read. Sartorial expert over here. (laughs) Yeah. This is what Paul Scholes had to say on the... What was it? A shirt and jumper that Lundberg was wearing at Carrow Road. You'd think he'd be out in a suit to show a bit of proudness that he took the job. To me, that is a great start. Shirt and tie to show some discipline. I don't think he'll be the right man. Now, does it matter what your manager wears on the touchline as a player? Do you think, oh, he's wearing this suit. I must respect him even more.
2: No, not in the slightest. No, no. I thought you looked quite good. <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely not. I, I think that you're kind of scraping the barrel. If that's your, uh, if that's your guidance mark for, uh, a for whether the man is the right man know. for the job or not.
3: <laughs> you know, sometimes you see that caretaker coming in and being quite vocal and quite animated. and He was quite passive. And I don't know if he was just taking it all in. Um, and perhaps he, but he didn't go out to the touchline very much. Emery used to stand on the touchline all the time and try to direct, and, and Lundberg didn't really do that, which is a little bit of a surprise. You know, I thought he or Metzaka would have gone out there a lot more. Um, but, you know, again, it's very difficult to kind of level any sort of person. The guy's got the job for for one day and he's got so little time to kind of work with things, and and, um, and he's only, today he's moved into the manager's office. So he's... He was hoped by Thursday he might have a number two or or someone in place um, who can who can guide him. Uh, if he's if he's got Bellerin back on Thursday, he might obviously he'd be able to kind of make changes to the team. But I think the one that the one that Arsenal fans always look at is they don't kind of understand why Emery tried to turn Tare into a into a sort of attacking midfield player rather than just him being in front of the back for patrolling as as as. Um, as he can do, and therefore just have him in that role protecting the back four.
1: I do wonder if maybe that that shirt and jumper combination is too restrictive. That's why he was (laughs) not so animated on the touchline. Who knows? Um, After that result then at Carrow Road, Lundberg insisted that he was 100% sure that Arsenal could finish in the top four, in fact can finish in the top four, and that's despite being seven points adrift currently. James, do you give them any hope? Do you think they realistically could finish in those Champions League spots?
0: Um, I think you've got to look at who would drop out. Um definitely not Liverpool. Um I think Leicester are looking really good for a top four place now. Manchester City aren't gonna drop out, and you look at you look at Chelsea, you know, Chelsea for me look like the ones who are possibly most likely to be at risk. But then you look at the teams chasing and Tottenham have just got Jose Mourinho. So You know, and they're only now six points off the top four, so it's a tall order, and I just don't think Arsenal have the personnel to do it.
1: It is a big job that Lumberg has on his hands. That is, if he stays the manager for the rest of the season and obviously we turn our attentions in, into who should come in next to replace Unai Emery permanently uh, Massimiliano Allegri is the odds-on favourite for the job having left Juventus at the end of last season but there are other candidates as you may well imagine Mikel Arteta is in there as is Maurizio Pochettino Nuno Espirito Santo and Patrick Vieira Gary do you think Arsenal will be looking to turn to one of those or will they keep Lumberg on?
3: Well, I think they, I mean, they're they drawing up a short list of about a dozen or so names at the moment and they're going to sort of then... A dozen? make it. Sorry? A dozen? A dozen, yeah, they're looking at. And then they're going to kind of make it a much smaller list. But when you, when you look at that list and you look at all those names and the best ones on there, they're probably all of them are going to only be available in the summer. It's mm. be very difficult to get any of them out mid-season. I think the Allegri one they've called their interest probably for two reasons. One is that he seems to kinda of want to go into a club that is ready to go and win trophies and clearly they're not and that position his his wage might be an issue as well. So I think that one's certainly probably much lower down. Um then you've got Arteta if you go for the young a young person or you've got Rodgers if you go for someone a bit more experienced. But again, neither of those you would think would be available until the end of the season, certainly in case of Rogers. So um I thought it was interesting yesterday that Brendan um talked about the release cause he's got even if he didn't he didn't say much about it but the fact he talks about it is he's kind of saying to someone I'm available if you mm. if if you kind of tug me nicely so um, I think that would be the one to kind of watch um they also got the same decisions they had when Wenger left you go for a young person or do you go for an experienced person and and they, they got cold feet on the young person on that on that time and they went for the experienced person and and Emery, by all accounts, was an outstanding interview. He produced lots of stats on players and and um, detailing on them. But of course, what happens in an interview doesn't translate to what happens on the pitch. So, and um, an Allegri, by all accounts, interviewed poorly. Then, um, but you know, what you do in front of a four four people in a suit is completely different to what you do on a training pitch mm. and, and 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 the characters you have to deal with. And um, I think that that's that's, that's going to be a difficulty Obviously as well are they going to be in the Champions League so different types of manager would be interested in that then they've got the fallout of the players or, you know, which players are going to want to stay next year and there's the Lacazette, Bamiang, um there's potentially still Ozil um, still Xhaka so there's kind of quite a, quite a few things um, so they, they kind of do need to get on and just kind of decide what they're going to do, um, whether they're going to go young, um, I mean I don't think they would go for I think Pochettino would be a very difficult person for them to try to go for. and um, but, I, but I certainly don't buy into the idea that he can't go there because when people talk about him saying he won't go to Barcelona, the, the point he was he, when he was referring to at that point was that he was going to be lured to Barcelona. But the difference now is he's been sacked by Tottenham so he's totally free. So um, that would be an interesting one if they did pursue it. And I think you'll you have a better idea on that one, when someone talks and if he goes around and says, "Well, you know, I'm a Tottenham person, and I'm only going to stick with Tottenham," then you know that that conversation has gone nowhere. Um, or if Arsenal say, "No, no, no, we're not going to be interested in Pochettino," then then you know that 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 something's been explored and and um, it's got, it's hit a bit, a bit of a dead end. Um, but I mean, after Arteta, Rogers and and those, it's Angelotti's the other one who who seems to kind of want to come here. Uh, come back, but I don't really see that Arsenal because uh, he just feels a bit older and and also perhaps not really what they need at this, at, at this time. And the options are quite limited for them.
1: Gary. I think that's probably
3: one, one of the reasons why Tottenham obviously moved to Mourinho really quickly because they probably looked ahead and saw they were going to be in a position that Arsenal are in now.
1: Gary mentioned Brendan Rodgers there, who is doing a tremendous job at Leicester. Leicester, of course, second in the Premier League after that late victory against Everton at the weekend. Brendan Rodgers was asked about his contract, as Gary told us, and he does insist he's happy at Leicester, but then also went on to mention about his um, release clause in his contract, as Gary's told us. And he wasn't exactly quick to shoot down any kind of "I'm not leaving." I'm happy, you know. He didn't say "I'm happy." I want to stay. He just kind of mentioned this all hypothetical situation. Would you see him realistically leaving Leicester to go to Arsenal, Gregor?
2: With Brendan Rodgers, you never know. Mm. Um, Cel- what happened with Celtic? His departure from Celtic kind of has surely got to a factor in the back of his mind because. This, the reaction to that was was pretty uh pretty toxic really. It went overboard in fact. But um, you know he he spoke so kind of lovingly of the club for for a few years, and then when the the, the opportunity to leave, just before kind of creating history and winning a treble treble, he jumped at it. And that, from his point of view, it was the right that was the right decision. So, and he's an ambitious guy. You know that. You know that absolutely. And then Arsenal are a huge institution, but I think he would be mad to do it just now. Not just because of that, but also when you listen to what Gary's just said, they're outlining all the problems at, at Arsenal. Um, I think leicester have got something really, really good going, and they could be like a genuine challenger for European spots on a consistent basis. When you look at the state of Arsenal and their ownership, it doesn't look like it's going to change. Uh, even an, the appointment of a new manager is not going to not going to change everything in one kind of fell swoop. Spurs have just ripped up their blueprint. Blueprint completely by appointing Josie Mourinho. Manchester United are in dire straits, both in the kind of their ownership and the man in the dugout. That's three of the heavyweights kind of down the pecking and order, and Leicester are the ones taking advantage of this. Mm. And he's got a great squad of players uh at his disposal. I think
0: he's he'd be mad to go.
1: James, do you agree? Do you think he's got it good at Leicester?
0: I do. Um I think one thing with Rogers, um, Arsenal is a huge rebuilding task and I don't think that should be underestimated Um, he came into Leicester there was the makings of a very good team there already and that's not to say that's not to, uh, to underestimate what Rodgers has done because he's t- he's taken Jamie Vardy and he's got him in the form of his life by um, sort of getting him to be far more efficient in what he does um, and kind of not chasing every lost cause, conserving energy and getting you know he's, he's I think he's it's almost now one in every two shots he's scoring <laughs> Vardy. So uh, Leic- and, and also you look at Leicester financially, they have money to spend. Um, they don't splash the cash, you know, all over the all over the shop, but. They, you know, when they needed to spend 40 million to sign Tillemans, they signed him. And with Arsenal, we saw over the summer, they spent money too, but it was structured payments and it was, it was very much kind of having to get one in to get one out to get one in. And so I actually think looking at it in the whole, I think Roger's has got a much better situation right now at Leicester and next season very good chance of Champions League football
2: that's exactly right off off the pitch is exactly the same scenario they're a better run club Leicester than Arsenal like dramatically so um, and they're a kind of unified club and Ar- Arsenal are a fractured club mm. and you know I've got a lot of off-field problems as well as on-field problems so I think you'd be absolutely crazy to do it but it's still Arsenal
1: So we mentioned Brendan Rodgers there, who's in charge of second place Leicester as things stand. It is Liverpool, though, who are top of the tree. 11 points clear of Manchester City after a Saturday which saw Jurgen Klopp's men extend their unbeaten run in the Premier League to 31 games, thanks to a hard-fought 2-1 win at home to Brighton. All this after a late John Joe Shelby Stunner saw Newcastle draw 2-2 at home to Manchester City. Guardiola's side now have dropped 13 points this season, but Pep insists they will fight until the last day. So it's 11 points, the gap right now. Is that too much to overcome, James?
0: it's a, it's a it's a huge mountain to climb i think manchester united overturned 12 points uh in 1996 with uh, with newcastle but you give them hope then i give them hope <laughs> but it's 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 it, it's looking very difficult because um i think we we, tu- we we've touched on it before i think i think it's going to take liverpool to suffer injuries in key areas um such as the full backs um and for them to i mean they've they've now got to lose four games for City to be, you know, back in back in with a chance. So, it's it, you, know, you know where when has this Liverpool team over the last two seasons lost four league games? It's lost I one. Don't know. It's, <laughs> lost, it's lost one game over the last two years.
1: I was like, what? Don't throw that at me, James. Um, but no, you're quite right. And for Guardiola, he has never had to overcome a gap as large as eleven points. Let's not forget the last season they did manage to overturn a ten-point gap to beat Liverpool to uh, the Premier League title. But have City left themselves with too much to do? Do you think, Gregor?
2: I just think it would still be foolish to write them off completely, really? uh, particularly because of the month and the amount of fixtures that Liverpool have coming up. Um, but there are problems, underlying problems at City. I mean, they're not—they're nowhere near the same kind of. The same pressing unit and 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 team really uh, an attacking force actually mm. that they have been in the past. Um, they're not as clinical in front of goal. I think the percentage of shots scored has dropped from seventeen point five to three point one per game. So it's kind of quite a big drop, and they're conceding three point six shots. Game where it used to be two point two, and there's things like the the press. I think the opponents are making something like a hundred passes more per game.
1: So is this because the opponents know how to play City now, or is are there other issues? It's you know injuries and things like that 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 are, have led to City's drop. Let's say I think, in those I think stats.
2: That, I think with with the defensive issues is, is one aspect of it, but I don't think they're the same sort of force in terms of winning the ball back in the opposition's half as well. They're not doing that as efficiently as they have in the past. And it's hard to know what to kind of how to put your finger on that yeah. whether it's the kind of exhaustion of working with with Guardiola or just you know everything might just be kind of compounding you know the defensive issues and they know they're not not at the top of their game but at the same po- at the same time you look at Liverpool and they're you know they're <laughs> winning games Van Dyke came out after this game and said that they've they've still got ten percent to find you know and we've said all season they're not playing at yeah. the best. And they've relied on set pieces again to to win the game. I think they have scored twenty five percent of their goals from set pieces since the start of last season. It's huge. It wins them games.
0: I think it's I think it's those kind of things that is where Klopp has got the edge at the moment because there's, he's he's spoken before about um, them needing to take more chances from set pieces and you know making small changes like getting a throwing coach in last season. It's, it's those kind of changes that you know we talk about marginal gains in sport, but it, it's, it's those small changes that can be the difference and we look at how tight it was last season it was one point separated Manchester City and Liverpool and Liverpool lost one game all season so you know it's right that he's maximising these areas where they can be better because if then the front three have an off day you've then you've then got an amazing dead ball specialist in Alexander Arnold and an amazing header of the ball in Virgil van Dijk um, to to take advantage of those situations
1: but Gregor mentioned this crazy December, let's say, for Liverpool. 11 games, 34 days, four competitions uh, in different continents as well, let's not forget. With the the Premier League, Carabao Cup quarterfinal, Club World Cup campaign as well, and a potentially crucial Champions League clash, all to be juggled with. It's going to be a hectic time and a difficult time for him. Is that perhaps something that you imagine Manchester City could capitalise on?
0: Um Well Manchester City have been dropping points now Um, and defensively we've said they're they're not looking amazingly strong. I was quite concerned at the weekend with um, and and I think Tony Cascarino picked up on this in his column the fact that um, Fernandinho at centre-half was actually found out for one of his tactical fouls in the build-up to the second Newcastle goal. Um, It's all right fouling someone in the middle of the pitch where it's not in a dangerous area. Quite another thing to do it on the edge of the box and concede a free kick. And it's, you know... The Manchester City team and the players are so flexible. They can play in a number of different positions. But, you know, really, you, you wouldn't want Fernandinho as your main centre-half. I don't think you'd want him doing the job that he does the best in the middle of the pitch. Um, so that's why I kind of think, I think, yeah, it's going to be a tricky run for Liverpool. But it, it, I can't see Manchester City sort of eating up that ground.
1: Mm. I'm sure Manchester City will be hoping January comes along pretty quick. Because isn't that when I'm Eric Laporte? Hopefully, should start getting back into reckoning with with Manchester City's team, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I mean they they need him back desperately, um, and I, I think Guardiola. You can kind of tell he's he's not in a good place at the moment as he well. He does
1: look very frustrated. Doesn't he's he? often he keeps
2: referencing the past as well. You know, when he, when I think it was put to him whether he kind of his team might have underestimated Newcastle, he, he said that not to do what we've done in recent years. You know, we we never do that, and then he he always keeps referencing even if they lose or they drop points, he, he says, we keep doing the same work as we always do, as if, you know, the work I do is kind of it's sacrosanct. I will <laughs> never change that. And he's right in a way. I mean, they still had 70 per, 77% possession, 24 shots, and nine on target against Newcastle. Ryan Sterling nearly scored a winner at the end. Dubravka made an absolute world of a save. Um, so, you know, th- these are, as James says, they're very fine margins we're talking about. But at the moment, with the kind of how, how relentless... Liverpool are and the way they just keep finding results and ways to win. That's that's why it's looking very difficult for them.
1: And finally, David Martin broke down in tears on Saturday afternoon after helping West Ham seal a first win at Chelsea in 17 years on what was his Premier League debut. The 33-year-old goalkeeper fell to the ground at the final whistle, with his teammates rushing over to pick him up after their shock 1-0 win in West London. Now he is, of course, a boyhood Hammers fan, joined the club from London rivals Millwall back in June and he was named in Manuel Pellegrini's starting 11 after the underfire Roberto was dropped following a poor run of form. Now we can't forget that his father is the Hammers legend Alvin Martin. He was in the crowd to watch his son make his top flight bow with the pair embracing for a special moment in the stands after the game. This is what David Martin had to say about it all. It still doesn't feel real. I'm just pleased I got through it. I didn't let anyone down and actually I enjoyed it in the end. My dad didn't say much. I think we were both in tears. For my dad to play for the club for 21 years and see it and for me to make my debut, keep a clean sheet and get the win for the boys, it is so pleasing. And he was also asked about his pre-match nerves and he said, I was struggling to eat for two days. Aaron Cresswell was laughing at me because my plate was taken away because I couldn't eat my food. Gregor, can you at all uh, understand what David Martin is telling us there about those sort of pre-match nerves?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I'd churn in the stomach before a big game. In fact, the one one player I played with, Sean Derry, used to go into the toilet before every game. So we'd before we went out to warm up, he'd go into the toilet and make himself sick. Really. And then he'd do it again when he came back in from the warm up. So he made him. He, he had to have a completely empty stomach before oh. he went out onto the pitch. And he was like he was a captain. He wasn't this one this one wasn't just pure nerves, but he just you know, he wanted to feel as light as he could and have <laughs> that's that is something, you know, there is a you do get the kind of the butterflies in the stomach. Um but it was a great, an absolutely brilliant story. It's mm. so kinda of relatable. I be a lot of a lot of footballers I think in the lower leagues will look at this and think, you know, you just never know. I, yeah. you know, he he was signed as someone who's really just to be taking part in training and so yeah, of helping if, out yeah
1: that's what people so um, for people who might not understand that it's like a training ground contract is that yeah. right yeah
2: he was he was like, I don't even know if he was third choice it was kind of you're somebody who will shoot will shoot at when everybody else has gone in afterwards or take part in seven serving aside and stuff like that which is not a bad gig actually when you're <laughs> getting on to 33 so but he you know I played against him when he was at Milton Keynes MK Dons um, when I was at Crew Alexandra I think it was in 2012 um He was there a long time, he's played, he's been at some big clubs, but mainly he's a lower league goalkeeper, so fantastic story. And you could see in his face just what it meant to him, even during the game when he was coming and collecting balls, you see the relief on his face. (laughs) It almost felt like he didn't know, he didn't feel he kind of deserved to be there, but he did did himself and, and his club and his dad proud.
1: Yes, he certainly did, and it was such an emotional experience. As as we've said, there he was in tears. His father was in tears watching uh, what happened at
0: Stamford Bridge,
1: and, and you can you can't help but feel a little bit of oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> it is though, isn't it? Really, yeah,
0: it's a brilliant story. It's a brilliant story, and um, and and it was, you know, let's not underestimate what a crucial performance it was for West Ham. Um, I actually think. Manuel Pellegrini should have made that change maybe 2 weeks ago um because you know it's it, it's horrible to see but Roberto was just so devoid of confidence and and was making so many mistakes and yeah. it just you know we it, it 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 sort of it it led to a lack of belief throughout the team and and I think With Martin, he restored. You know, he did a very steady job. He didn't. You know, he didn't need to make any sort of spectacular saves or pull off any worldies. He just, he just did his job well. Commanded the box, was confident when catching the ball, and um, and that sort of instilled a bit more confidence in the defence in front of him. And um, they were well worth their clean sheet. I think at the end, you could see how popular he was as well. Yeah, you know, he's not been there long, but all his teammates teammates ran Mm. over to him. They knew it was a big,
2: big occasion, big moment for him. So that was really nice to see as well.
1: It is their first clean sheet in nine games, their first win in eight in the Premier League. Is this the kind of victory, do you think, Gregor, that saves Pellegrini?
2: Um, it certainly it certainly helps them out in the short term. I think uh, West Ham has still got a lot of under, underlying issues. Uh, the goalkeeper, I said last week, I think that his performances, Roberto's performances, skewed skewed results slightly. They're not a team who are going to be relegation-threatened but they are still a team who are kind of mid-table because they've got far too many inconsistencies. Um, I still think that's that's the case. So, you know, Pellegrini is a a very capable manager, so I think he deserves some time to sort of put put a proper stamp on, on this team.
1: Just to say, of course, their next game is Wolves away. You would imagine David Martin will continue in goal for West Ham, but there will always be pressure on him, won't there?
0: Yes, of course. Um, but that debut will have given him real confidence. I think mm. you know the worst thing that could have happened is if he'd come in and made a whole load of mistakes, and then you know the, I think we would have you know there would have been increased scrutiny on Pellegrini. Actually, after that, I think. But it but it was um, you know that brilliant debut will give him so much confidence going into the next game that I think you know he he has that game to fall back on now i was going to ask you gregor if you if you come into a team and you make your debut whatever at whatever sort of stage of your career how important is it that first game to get an amazing performance under your belt or even just a steady performance Mm. under your belt
2: yeah absolutely because there's no matter what you do in training there's always a question mark about you until you've kind of proven it in a game and done done the job in a game so um but when you're
1: coming in to replace somebody that's been having a bit of a greater, yeah, of course, yeah, bit of a stinker. It must be uh, yeah, as you say, even more greater the pressure.
2: Yeah, the pressure is greater, and and there's there's no position in the, on the pitch that is any worse than a goalkeeper as well. So, um, yeah, I mean he's like I say, he'll have been working hard and doing well in training every day, and and I'm sure you could see from the reaction as well that the players recognised that. Um, but now he's gone and done it in, the, in a game in the Premier League, his confidence has just go through the roof.
1: Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Restall and Gary Jacob.
2: Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online on your smartphone or tablet.
1: It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday.
3: The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts
0: from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.